Since the 10th chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul has been defending his ministry and even his apostleship to a church that knew him well and a church he loved. This was distasteful to him, and he found it foolish to have to defend himself, but false apostles who were turning the heads of those in Corinth by their boasting and their accusations against Paul had given him little choice. And as we continue in the 12th and 13th chapter, we find him still commenting on the foolishness and what should have been the unnecessity of what he has had to do. Continuing in chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, Paul writes, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you, with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. When these most eminent false apostles started making accusations against Paul, instead of believing them, they should have come to his defense. Paul was no stranger to the Corinthians. It wasn't as if these false apostles were slandering someone they didn't know and couldn't vouch for. Paul had spent 18 months with them. He had led them to Christ. He had performed apostolic signs and wonders and miracles while with them to confirm his authority and the message he was preaching. They knew who he was. There should have been no need for him to have to commend himself to them. The whole situation was really ridiculous. He continues, For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you the more, am I to be loved the less? The only thing the false apostles had said about Paul that was true was that he hadn't accepted support from the Corinthians while with them. And for that, he says, with a touch of bewilderment, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't become a burden to you like those false apostles have become. Please forgive me this wrong. Now, he's already explained his reason for this. He didn't want anyone to get the idea that they had to pay to hear the gospel. He didn't want anyone to think that salvation was for sale. He did let Christians provide the resources he needed to go to someone else, but he never accepted money from those he was trying to lead to the Lord. 
The false apostles had apparently used this in a crazy sort of way to make it appear that Paul either felt himself too good for the Corinthians or too good for their money. Or, as we'll soon see, that perhaps he had simply tried to look benevolent to them. That he wanted to give the appearance of not taking their money while having others take up collections for the poor that actually went to him. That was even more ridiculous. The Corinthians should have known better. They should have sprung to his defense as soon as they heard such preposterous charges. Again, Paul was no stranger to them. He was their father in the faith. As such, he hadn't taken advantage of them when he lived with them, and he certainly wasn't going to do so when he returned to Corinth. As a father, he was coming not to take from them, but to give to them, and if need be, to give even himself for them. He wasn't coming to be a burden to them. He wasn't coming to devour their goods as the false apostles had done. He wasn't coming for what was theirs, but for them and for their sake. He was coming as a father to them. And in spite of what I tell my son-in-law, children aren't expected to save up for their parents' futures. Parents provide for their children. And as such, Paul was coming to assure their future. And he didn't have any limits on what he'd give up for them either. He said he would gladly spend and be expended for their souls. If all it took was the cost of a trip to Corinth to straighten things out, he'd gladly bear that expense. If it took more, even to the giving of himself, He'd do that as well. He really didn't know what to expect those false apostles might try to do to him. Once he got there, they were obviously desperate, hateful men. He didn't know what to expect. But because of the love he had for his children in the faith, he was willing to risk it. He loved them and wanted to make sure they knew it. He had no ulterior motives, and neither did those he had sent to Corinth everything he did for them. He did because he loved them. And they should have been able to see that. They should have loved him all the more for what he did, not less. There was no reason to question his motives or the motives of those he had sent to them. He continues, but be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I've sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? Apparently, the false apostles had accused Paul of being underhanded, of deceiving the Corinthians. They may have even accused him of sending Titus and others to take advantage of them, to fleece them, to raise money under false pretenses, saying it was for the poor in Jerusalem. 
and then keeping the funds for themselves and Paul. Again, Paul says, think about those 18 months I spent with you. I didn't take advantage of you then, and I'm not taking advantage of you now through Titus and the brother I sent to you. These are good men who have come to help you prepare for my visit. I want everything to be as good as possible when I get there, and these men can help. Don't let the false apostles lead you astray. Don't let them twist everything around and turn you against me and them and even the Lord. Paul didn't want there to be problems between them when he got there. That's why he had sent others to help smooth things over before he got there. Still, in spite of his best efforts, he knew they would probably misunderstand what he was trying to do. So he tries to explain. All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish. That perhaps there may be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Paul says, you think I've been trying to defend myself by what I've said? Not so. All I have said and done has been done in the sight of God. He knows what I've done. He knows all I've said has been for your sake. I'm trying to restore you. I'm trying to bring harmony back into our relationship and into your relationship with the Lord. Paul was doing all this because he didn't want there to be any disappointment when he came. He didn't want to be disappointed by the Corinthians when he got there. He didn't want to find that they had strayed from the Lord and gone after false apostles. He didn't want to have to get all over them when he returned and make them upset with him. He didn't want there to be strife and jealousy and disputes when he got there. He didn't want any of that. But he was afraid that unless things changed, that would be the case. He was afraid he'd find himself humiliated by their behavior, that he'd be ashamed to have ever known them. He was afraid he might have to mourn over unrepented sin, impurity, and immorality. Now, we don't know for sure what Paul did find when he got back to Corinth. But we do know from Acts that he spent three months there and then had to leave hurriedly when he discovered a plot was being formed to kill him. So they must not have liked everything he said or did. This is the third time I'm coming to you. 
Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness. Yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. To understand what Paul is saying here and to appreciate the sternness in his voice, we need to go back to his first and second comings to Corinth. You recall that Paul first came to Corinth on his second missionary journey around 50 AD. He came to town alone as a tent maker and stayed 18 months, during which time he established the Corinthian congregation. The Corinthians were a difficult group with which to work because of their extremely pagan and immoral background, but Paul loved them dearly and probably agonized more over them than any other congregation. After leaving Corinth, Paul went to Ephesus, made a quick trip to Jerusalem, and then returned to Ephesus where he stayed for a couple of years. From Ephesus, he then wrote a brief letter to Corinth that has not been preserved for us. That letter prompted some questions from Corinth, which Paul sought to answer in our first Corinthians. Apparently, that letter created some hard feelings, so Paul made a second trip to Corinth, a quick trip from Ephesus that he refers to as a painful visit. He went to personally clear up any misunderstandings that might exist between himself and the Corinthians. He went as a father seeking in love and mercy to correct a wayward child, but found that the Corinthians rejected his counsel and even his apostolic authority over them. But rather than rain down judgment on them for their rejection and sin, he left and returned to Ephesus. From there, he wrote another letter, again, not one preserved for us, and sent it to them by the hand of Titus. Titus brought back an encouraging report, but made it clear to Paul that some were still rejecting his authority and were causing dissension in the church. It is to those people in particular that his remarks in our text for today are aimed. So in our second Corinthians, Paul's fourth letter to the Corinthian church, he tells of his plan to come to Corinth a third time. And this time, he was coming to pass judgment. In effect, he says, I have been patient long enough. I've assumed the best and I've tried to ignore much of what I've heard. This time, every fact is going to be confirmed by witnesses. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Like I said when I was last with you, when I come again, no one 
will be spared. The day of reckoning will have arrived. The full force of apostolic judgment will rain down on all who have refused to repent. I have held off as long as possible. I made it clear in the first part of this letter that I didn't come back to Corinth immediately because I wanted to spare you. But the time is drawing near for judgment. I know many have been saying, I'm weak and no threat to anyone, that the power of Christ is not in me. Well, this time, you will see the power of Christ at work. You'll discover his power is indeed within me when I return. Just as Christ was crucified because of voluntary weakness, a self-imposed limitation on his power, and was raised by the full power of God, so you will discover my apparent weakness was self-imposed. I yielded to Christ and to his love and patience for your sakes when with you before. But you will see his power in me directed toward you in its full force when I come again. Paul had willingly made a fool of himself for their sakes, hoping that would make them see the foolishness of the things they were believing and doing. But judgment can't be withheld forever. That was true in Corinth, and it's still true today. Paul didn't want to find strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, and disturbances in the church when he got there. And Christ doesn't want such in the church when he returns. Those who have been sent by God to share the gospel and to instruct God's people on how to live holy lives should be commended, not vilified as being bigoted and intolerant. And to be commended, they must be seen as loving and perhaps even self-deprecating when addressing sin, sin in the church and even sin in society at large but they must never lose sight of the fact that judgment day is coming. Sin will be punished eternally, if not repented of and forgiven through the sacrificial love of Christ. Paul was willing to be seen as foolish for the sake of those he loved, but he was also willing to tell them the truth whether they wanted to hear it or not. May we have the courage to say and do whatever is necessary to open hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel. And may we be willing to defend and commend those who are willing to do so. Paul was willing to give up everything 
for the Lord and for his body, the church. Are we willing to do the same? Let's pray. Father, we're humbled by Paul's love and faithfulness. We're challenged by his willingness to be made foolish, to overlook things for a time, work behind the scenes to make things better. But never, never did he cease understanding that judgment is coming and that ultimately confrontation of sin is necessary. Help us to be as bold, as loving, and as courageous. We live in a world that is dominated by sin. If we just hammer them for their sin, they'll reject us completely. Give us wisdom. Help us to know how to love those who don't know you. But may we never get to the place where we fail to speak the truth when it's needed. I pray for those in the ministry today. The challenges before us are immense. Far too many ministers are capitulating to society. They're afraid to speak the truth. Give us courage. Don't make us abrasive. Don't make us arrogant. But let us speak the truth in love to ourselves, to family members, to our neighbors, to those of our brothers and sisters in other churches, and even to those who represent us in the government. Help us to be faithful. Help us to love and help us to be courageous. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.